0: this is where Texas politics gets interesting. Here again are two guys named Jason, some great guests, and cold Texas beer for another smart conversation on Yolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas.
1: Hey
2: there, welcome back to Yolitics uh, We're not in person this week, and Wheeler, you're joining us from the hottest place, man. You have all these ropes behind you. It's it's either an amusement ride or something else more sadistic man what's it,
0: happening uh well it's it's funny it's actually a combination of uh, amusement ride and, and sadism <laughs> uh, because i'm at work
2: <laughs> and they have you tied down right they, <laughs> they have me tied, tied down,
0: down. <laughs> this,
2: this podcast
0: really is getting started on a strange foot uh here uh no i'm at i'm at work uh in the office and i'm in this little room and i mean it's a tiny little room i always say that it's like I'm sitting in here waiting for the detectives to come back in to continue my interrogation. <laughs> you know, it's it's like that kind of room, uh, which is fitting. Um, and and it's got this humongous picture hanging on the wall. It's a glossy rope, and it's just rope, bunch of it. Um, and I'm not sure what it's uh-huh. supposed to say, but whatever.
2: That's a heck of a background, man. So I hope, considering that location you're in, you have something to drink, man. Uh,
0: yes, I did rope in a uh, a beer, um, and I, <laughs> I, it was BYO Beer. Be, bring your own beer here to, to work today, and it's called a Vicer Time. It's a Hefeweizen. Uh, this is nice. from um, Hoppensting Brewing Company, and I believe that that is in... Wait, I'm going to get that wrong. I don't know where they are. It's somewhere here in Texas.
2: Is it a Texas beer? It is a
0: Texas beer. Yeah. I've never heard of it. Um, I need to figure out where that's from. Why don't you tell us what you're drinking while I try to cheat and find that?
2: Y- yeah. You need your uh, your old man glasses to look for that? No, I'm Grandpa. just looking
0: for it. Like, they've got a lot of writing on here. There it is. It's Grapevine. Grapevine, Texas. Oh, Grapevine. In, in North Texas, uh, right in the middle of DFW, if you go straight up the middle there. Yeah. Right by the big
2: airport, DFW. I'm having a heart of Texas. It's a red beer, red ale from four corners Everything. i'm a big four corners fan that's where we shot one of our promos over there yeah they have Lo- local buzz is one of their popular beers uh, yeah i it's like a good that place. One a too yeah that's it's good have you already cracked yours open i have and i've already had my first sip and uh
0: <laughs> i really like this this is a nice um uh, nice in here
2: it's one of those days huh drinking mm-hmm.
0: early it is um i should have brought a crazy straw to take this thing down uh, while yep. i sit here in front of
2: all this rope Well, Um, we're recording this at at 8.30 in the morning, so um, (laughs) it it is encouraging that you were able to uh, lighten up for the rest of the day. So Um, let's get into the topic here, man, because this one is pretty interesting. It is. All of our topics are interesting. Yeah, but uh, but but yeah, this one and and you know the thing about this
0: one, Jason, is that this affects uh, a lot of people. You could argue that it affects every person in Texas, sure, whether they know it or not. And we're talking about uh, electricity and power generation, and specifically wind and solar. Well, uh, I, I think
2: even even more than that is it's private property rights. What you can do is.
0: on your property. It is, and 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 this—that's the thing with this—is uh, I think that a lot of people could think, well, wind and solar, let me tune that out. Uh, I know that the plan that I'm on right now to get my yeah. electricity is like three you percent know, renewable. I'm not going to worry about that. Well, the thing is, is that like you said, this touches a lot of different things, including what you're allowed to do on your own land let's say you've got you know 5,000 acres out in the middle of uh, West Texas somewhere uh, this could very well uh, affect what decisions you make about what you can do with your own land and beyond that um, you know even if your plan the, that you're on your electric plan you know is minuscule as far as using renewables um, the fact of the matter is is that renewables, are powering a lot of the electricity that you use even if you're on a plan that you know doesn't commit to using a lot of it just because there's a lot of it
2: in the mix. So so if this goes away, I think you're saying if if this bill passes we're going to talk about in a moment, this could essentially raise everyone's rates and and maybe even put electric rates but maybe even put electricity in danger in the state when well, you think that renewable that's what energy, they're arguing yeah that's yeah. what wind
0: and uh, that's what the wind and solar industry is arguing that you know hey if you make things too onerous for us Uh, It really will hurt this industry and it will really hurt rate payers here in Texas because our electricity that we produce is cheaper than the other kinds that can be produced. And when we have that in the mix, it keeps everybody's electric bills uh, lower than they would be. Now, people are going, wait, my electric bill is crazy compared to what it was, you know, a year and a half ago. Uh, Wind and solar is saying, oh, it would have been a lot crazier if we hadn't been in this mix.
2: So you know, there's six or seven thousand bills that get filed uh, every legislative session. Uh, we're, we're focusing on one bill. It's not the only bill, but this is the one we're focusing on today. It's a Senate bill. It's number six twenty four. If you want to go look it up and actually read it, and it's moving through the Senate right now. I just got word the other day it was placed on the past committee by party uh, party line vote, and it got placed on the intent calendar in the state uh senate so by the time we release this podcast it may have already passed the senate and headed the house but senate bill 624 essentially requires every wind turbine every solar panel farm that's uh, on any land in west texas or along the coast or anywhere else to be permitted by the state it goes a step further though and requires essentially permission from people who live within 25 miles of it. They have to sign off on this thing, uh, which is kind of odd. And that raises the question about private property
1: rights. Mm-hmm.
0: And and I don't know about you, but, you know, I might have trouble getting along with somebody who lives like right next door to me. You? Uh, I can't, yeah, believe it or not, believe it or not. Uh, I can't imagine having to get them on board with things that I want to do, uh, as well as all of the people within 25 miles like, hey, I'm going (laughs) to do this in my backyard. Is everybody okay with that? You know, so so this is one of the big issues that's being talked about right now. But as you said, Jason, there is this whole slate of bills. This has really become a Republican priority to say, hey, you know, we're going to stop, you know incentivizing to the degree that we have been wind and solar in this in this state because it doesn't need it anymore. Wind and solar is doing just fine. It's its own industry. They've, you know, been able to, you know, put up all these projects. They're making money. Uh, they don't need the incentives anymore. What we need to be doing is building more generation capa- capability with gas. We've got tons of natural gas here in Texas, and we need to build plants that run on natural gas so that we can provide enough electricity. That's what they're saying here.
2: And Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick made that one of his priorities. He he uh, passed a bill through the state Senate recently uh, to incentivize more natural gas plants. Why natural gas? Why not coal? I mean, it's obvious coal is dirty. Natural gas, we have a lot of it right now in Texas. So the the idea is they need to have more, uh, you know, power plants. They can just flip on with a flip of a switch if it's a really hot day or a really cold day. And, and that's natural why, gas
0: lets you do that versus natural gas gas wind, or solar. wind or solar. You yeah. can't always depend on it being available right then.
2: And you know what I didn't realize? Uh, I haven't bought land out in West Texas like you have for a ranch, but you know th- there are a lot of ranchers and a lot of farmers who have these big spaces of land in our state and they rely on the extra money Did they get from putting a wind turbine up on part of their land and that that's that's funding school districts in many Texas counties that's funding roads in many Texas counties, And, and now the state is stepping in saying, we want to have a say in, in, in where these go and if you can have these on your own property. Yeah. And that might be keeping a lot of that land in
0: the farmer's hands as well. I mean, you know, if, uh, if cotton doesn't do well in in any given year or, or whatever it is that's being grown, uh, they have some real troubles. Uh, this turbine that's sitting in the middle of their property is paying them year after year after year. And that's, income that they can rely upon so this this is a layered thing here there's so many different pieces to this Uh, but the interesting thing is to me anyway is that you see a lot of these republican proposals that would you know according to the wind and solar industry really weaken them Um, and it would affect all of these landowners in these very republican strongholds in in these republican strongholds especially out in that west texas area i think sweetwater and all around there uh and so it's a it's an interesting dynamic politically as well
2: yeah and the person who is who wrote this one specific bill we've been talking about senate bill 624 is a state senator named lois kolkhorst she's a republican from brenham which is in between austin and houston where bluebell is made Uh, bluebell ice cream man i'm impressed you you know a couple things about i know my uh, ice cream trivia Uh, Do you have you ever been to Bluebell? By the way, I have. Yeah, it's, it's it's nice. Um, that's where I, I think I got this extra turkey neck that's underneath <laughs> here. A lot of that country vanilla, my friend. But uh, Senator Lois Kolkhorst is from there. She represents uh, that part of the state, and she's proposing this for all of Texas. We reached out to her to ask her to come on and explain this bill. I, I'm really curious where it started. What what was the genesis of this idea on why all of a sudden, after 20, 25 years or so, or so of these wind turbines all over the state, why want to, why does the state want to come in now to start permitting them uh that that that's kind of odd but the senator's office did not respond to our request for an interview so we did reach out to Jeff Clark he is the president of the Advanced Power Alliance now they represent renewables specifically wind solar battery stuff like that but they support all types of, uh, of energy, oil and gas, everything else as well. So we, we called him up to see what they think and to see what he thinks specifically about this one bill.
0: Hey, y'all, this is where Texas politics gets interesting for another smart conversation on eolitics.
2: Jeff, lay out Senate
1: Bill 624. What, what exactly would this do? Yeah, Senate Bill, Senate bill 624 is a, is a really a bizarre piece of legislation. Um, when you read it, if you read the preamble, it, what it describes is that the public of Texas, that the the uh, land in Texas needs to be protected from the the threat of renewable energy, and it actually uses the police powers. So they they want to direct the police powers of the state of Texas to protect consumers and the environment from renewable energy, and it is a and, and remarkably. When it comes to regulating power generation, it leaves out every other type of power plant, every other type of energy production, and focuses solely on wind and solar projects. Um, It's mainly about, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, Jeff, but it's it's mainly about permitting, you were saying. It's it's permitting. It's fascinating. It it is permitting on a going-forward basis, but it's also permitting on a retrospective basis. So in addition to now deciding for every landowner in the state whether they can or cannot use their farm or their ranch or their family, you know, hunting lease or hunting property, whatever they have that they, whether they can use that for to build a wind or solar project, uh, that choice will now be left up to the state. And interestingly, the the bill has a lot of requirements in it, but the permit that the state would issue doesn't have any objective criteria where you as a a landowner or you as a, a project developer would know if I meet these requirements, then I can get a permit the permit would be left up to bureaucrats in Austin who are not elected and uh, but it would apply retroactively so every wind or solar project that's operating in the state today and remember we get about 26% of our electricity in texas from wind and solar projects all of those projects would now have to go back and seek a permit from this from this group and yeah. Jeff, we we know about
2: zoning and cities, and that makes sense. But when you get out in West Texas and that wide open spaces
1: out there, why would the state care about what you well, doing with you your know, land? I think the question is why would the state care? But if if they did care, why single out just renewable energy? And I I look at this bill, you know, people say, well, you know, this is a this is a solution in search of a problem. I don't even see it as that. This is so obviously. This is a missile in search of a target, and the target is renewable energy. The target is Texas consumers. The target is private property rights. It is—it's it, crazy that it would, if it made sense, why would it apply to the only type of energy development that doesn't emit a, into the air and water, that doesn't, you know, have major environmental impacts? And so it's—it's it's so obviously an attack on renewable energy, and it's—it's it's on top of a pile. Of other bills that have been filed this session to target renewable energy, and, um, and and really I think to take advantage, we've had obviously a lot of of excitement and challenges on our electric grid over the last couple of years, and it's it's taking advantage of that uh, confusion and uh, and pushing an agenda that is designed to prop up other forms of energy and to push renewable energy behind.
0: Yeah, Jeff, we'll get into
1: that uh, whole stack of bills that, you know, your your industry is up
0: against right now. But let's stay with uh, Senate Bill 624 for just a moment here. This Absolutely. one filed by Senator Kolkhorst. Um, it, it, there's, there's so many questions that spring to mind here. First off, you're saying uh, it, it narrows it down. It, it, it zeroes right in on renewables and doesn't really address other uh, forms of, uh, you know, electricity generation. Um, we keep hearing from oil and gas and from politicians supporting oil and gas in this state that they just want to level the playing field. And and basically, what you're saying is this totally undercuts that argument. If you're specifically crafting bills that go after one particular kind of electricity generation,
1: it's a, it's a good you know. And I and we're supporters of oil and gas. Uh, to be clear, Advanced Power Alliance supports oil and gas. We 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 envision a future where renewable energy partners with oil and gas to help them cut costs, to help decarbonize, to get more gas out to the world in a, in a planet that needs our energy resource in a in a difficult european strategic environment and other issues but it, you know so we're not anti oil and gas but that is the rhetoric that gets thrown about uh, around all of these bills as well we need to level the playing field all of those arguments tend to ignore subsidies for all energy resources or permitting you know permitting is not a tool i would i would argue regulation and permitting and government uh, police powers couldn't be used as a tool to hold back one industry in order to encourage another, vice versa, they should be used to identify what is it that we don't approve of? And we said this in our testimony, by the way, what is it that you don't approve of? And let's regulate for that. Is it emissions? Let's regulate emissions for everyone the same way. Is it sound? Is it, is it, uh, you know, impacts on, on, uh, on, uh, you know, land. Let's, let's talk about what, what it is, you want to regulate. And then what's fair to a private property holder, what they're doing here is, is tantamount to what we do in, in the old Soviet Union, where the government will now decide, well, we believe you ought to you know, keep farming this property. That's something that has come up. Well, we don't want to see so much land go to from farming to solar. I, I don't know when it became the government's business, whether I take a hundred acres of my land and use it for a solar farm or take a hundred acres of my land and use it for cotton um that that should be left to private property owners not not the uh the administration and Yeah, Austin. it
0: gets it gets really specific here too. And and first of all, we're hearing terms in this bill that uh this was again filed by a Republican here, but you know, we're hearing things like uh, environmental impact studies, industry regulations, uh you know, property rights, uh you know, w- where the state has police power. These aren't things that we have traditionally heard from Republicans here in Texas. Um and 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 it gets really specific too that you can't have, you know, renewables uh built on your property. Within a thousand feet of another property, unless you get that property owner's permission. Uh, And then you've got to notify the property owners within 25 miles of one of these uh, wind or solar developments, 25 miles, uh, in addition to the county judges within 25 miles. And it just sounds like a lot of people would then have veto power over what you're doing on your land. And the question is, why?
1: You know, why would anyone? You know, I'm in Austin, Texas right now. If I'm building a solar project in Austin, that means I have to notify people what in Buta, you know, it, it just imagine what a 25 mile line looks like And that well, I what have- if you did
0: though, Jeff? What if you wanted to put that on your property out in the middle of nowhere? Okay, and and you did have to notif- notify everybody within 25 miles. Would you have to jump through as many hoops if you wanted to drill a well there? Today? That,
1: today? I, I, yeah, absolutely not. But but the this that provision is designed to stimulate objection to projects. You know, th- this is a 25 mile notification is designed to say, hey, we're thinking about building a solar project in in your community. And, uh, you know, object. And uh, but again, it's 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 the, the bigger challenge, of course, th- those kind of requirements, if that's a good idea, it ought to apply to everyone. Again, regulation, we always say technology agnostic regulation, identify what it is. So you think a major uh, investment of some kind or, or a, a major manufacturing project ought to notify everyone within 25 miles? Sure. I think it's a terrible idea, but keep it fair for everybody. But but beyond that, you end up in a situation in this bill, there is no criteria that, that a solar developer, or even more importantly, I would say, and I obviously represent the companies that are building these projects, but I also know and work with landowners who come to us and say, hey, look, you know, I have a a family farm and we we would love to take half of it and move it into wind or solar because we want the revenue when there's a drought when commodity prices fall we want to diversify we've been here for 100 years we've struggled to get by and then they get the opportunity to get a solar project and two or three neighbors who moved out within typically within the last five or six years say well i don't want to look at a solar project and so now this family that's been farming for 100 years loses the opportunity to get that economic prosperity that they've they've struggled to get. It really comes, and it's a slippery slope beyond, you know, wind or solar projects. What happens when we say, well, you know, your neighbors are tired of listening, you know, to your cattle. You know, this has become a suburban community that we know it used to be, and that's happening all over our state. This used to be a, a rural community, but now it's become a suburban community, or you're going to have to change what you do in agriculture. Or frankly, for my friends in oil and gas, this kind of precedent when the state's police powers are, are brought to bear against private landowners and safe activity. Again, if there's a dangerous, we've had wind in Texas for 30 years. There are no abandoned wind projects. There are no cases where a, a wind project has leaked in and, and caused environmental damage. These are all, you know, these are all regulated by state and federal law already, but they, they're they creating a, a bureaucracy to target one industry. its It should be frightening, not just to people who care about renewable energy. It should frighten everyone who cares about industry and private property. Jeff, I'll say
2: this. Wheeler does have a, a bunch of chickens in a coop in his backyard. We're trying to figure out how to address those. Maybe 624 is the one to I address I wish I them. did.
1: Have you seen egg prices? Man, it would be great. <laughs> I'm sure hey, there's... But- a neighbor within 25 miles who would like to have the <laughs> Right. Hand raised right here.
2: <laughs> uh, hey, you said, and, and part of this bill is uh, would be retroactive. So let's say I, I've had a, uh, a turbine, a big windmill on my property out in, uh, you know, Northwest Texas for the past 25 years. Right. What does this mean then if this passes to me as a
1: landowner, who's who's making some extra money on the side from this turbine? It, it it puts you as a landowner in jeopardy and and it puts that project in jeopardy. But here's the even crazy, here's the even more upsetting aspect of this is we have been, you know, I, I joined this industry 11 years ago and I was, I was excited. I went to college in West Texas. My family was all from West Texas and I got excited about wind power. When I went to communities that for the first time, Ever, they had a new school. They had new, you know, tech building. You know, uh, a uh, tech and science building in several places. You know, there there are communities all over the state that have been transformed by the money that came in from these wind, typically, but now more and more wind and solar projects, and which typically become the number one, number two taxpayers in their communities. A lot of school districts have issued bonds because the power is sold on these projects on long-term contracts so if i'm a if i'm a school district i'm looking at a 200 million dollar wind farm it's got a 25-year contract for power i know that project's going to be there i know there's going to be tax revenue and i'm going to issue bonds and i'm going to service those bonds with the revenue from these projects this bill requires us to go back and get a permit for those projects but this bill on and then all of the other bills that are that are percolating in the legislature what lawmakers don't understand is that when you pass a bill deliberately to kill these existing projects, companies are not going to run those at a loss. They're going to they're have to bankrupt those projects and, and sell them off or, or walk away from them. And it's the school districts and those rural communities that are counting on that revenue that are most at risk. So part of our work is, of, of course, advocating for the project developer but well, part of our work is just advocating for the communities where we've already invested. We want to protect those investments, but we also want to protect the communities because we made a lot of a lot of commitments going in about the benefits we were going to bring. And the state's trying to change the rules with this and so many other things, change the rules in, in the middle of the game. You know, uh, let's talk
0: about some of these other bills because we keep uh, uh, alluding to them. Uh, We've got Senate Bill 6, Senate Bill 7, Senate Bill 2014, Senate Bill 2015. Some of these would uh, create incentives to develop, you know, more generation that would clearly be gas. One of these would, you know, sort of help the state to get in the business of building uh, gas-fired power plants uh, and use state money to do that. Uh, some would, you know, do away with, uh, incentives, uh, to build with, re- to build more renewables. Um, how many bills are you watching right now in the Texas legislature? And, uh, how does that compare to years past? You guys used to be the darlings, uh, there in, under the Capitol dome.
1: Well, and I think, you know, it's it, it, the, the challenge of course is, is, um, uh... These are complex issues and educating educating lawmakers and and I'm always I, I, I'm always reminded that it, being a legislator is a very difficult business because at 9 a.m., you may be working on on uh, you know child support enforcement and at 11 you're working on the transportation code and at noon you have a hearing on electricity issues and you know so it's trying to be expert on on all of these issues is challenging. And utility issues and and power generation issues are among the most complex that we have. Um, this is a session where we where we easily have two to three times as many bills um, to address. Um, we are, last year, renewable energy saved consumers in the state last year, partially because natural gas prices were so high, but we saved consumers over $920 million a month um, during during the last 12 months of the year um, we hear every week. We hear from from industry. The chemical industry is a perfect example. They need low carbon electricity because they have to decarbonize the product that they're exporting to the world. And we can sit in the capital in Austin and 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 not buy into climate change or not buy into some of these climate regulations. But if you're selling into Asian markets as a as a chemical company, yeah. or if you're selling into the European market, those those countries require. Uh, lower emission. Uh, so if you're selling the pellets that get made into other products, say television sets, whatever, um, you know we, we there's a need for our manufacturers to decarbonize. All of our projects are built, use it with power purchase agreements to serve industry. That's what gets the projects built originally. So we know that Texas needs renewable energy. Consumers need renewable energy to keep the cost down. We believe a great system is a system that uses natural gas for reliability and, and renewables for low cost. And when you pair the two together, which we're infinitely blessed with, that you have a highly reliable system. Unfortunately, the, 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 the blackouts that the state experienced during URI, which consistently have been studied by everyone from FERC to the University of Texas, every major study identified a, a range of challenges, none of which were renewable energy was the problem. Um, but so but that's we had, not what
0: we heard initially. Uh, as soon as this happened, this is the winter storm from 2021, February. Uh, that wasn't what we heard initially. There was a, a bashing of wind and solar yeah.
1: at the state official level. Well, what's remarkable is that some of our state officials went out immediately and said it was our, you know, we had a gas supply issue. We had, you know, a failure to permit facilities register facilities as critical, and therefore we had we had supply issues that were caused by by facilities being uh, shut off. Um, We had challenges with wind turbines icing. Some folks went out and said, here is exactly what happened and told the story accurately. But as the news cycle progressed, you're absolutely right. It became within two days, it was time to appear on on the national news networks and take this opportunity to bash renewable energy. Well, renewable energy is one of the things that keeps Texas manufacturing strong. It's one of the things that we, we use more electricity than almost any other state. And one of the ways we can afford our bills is by having 26% of our power coming from renewable energy. And by the way, you know, we, one of the things we hear is, well, we have too much. States like Oklahoma, states like Kansas, states like Iowa, they all have more renewable. So we're number one because we're big, but on a per capita basis, on a or on, on a household basis, we're using less renewable energy than a lot of our a lot of our rivals. So um, it but, is a political opportunism to attack renewables and during during this session. And um, but we're responding to it. Jeff, look, let me
2: take a, a quick side street on that. W- one of the issues, as you well know, with renewable energy is the capacity to store it. And and battery storage is what everyone's been talking about. Well, you know, during 2020 or 2021, uh, you know, winter storm Uri, if we had battery storage, we really could have relied more um, mm-hmm. on, on the uh, renewable energy. When is that going to come to fruition? When, when are big you know, battery storage place is going to be set up in West Texas or, or anywhere across the state.
1: Yeah, the the storage is being you know and it's it's one of those uh, when I when I began in this uh, business, um, we were the Wind Coalition. We were exclusively wind power, and I asked, well, why don't we diversify into solar? And several of the companies said, well, you know, solar will not ne- you know that's that's not really going to work. Five years later, we became the Advanced Power Alliance. Solar is now the cheapest by wow. far, bar none. Solar is the cheapest form of electricity that you can generate. Batteries are the same way. You know, for years we've heard, well, you know, batteries are never going to happen. Batteries are happening now. Um, the uh, Last year at the federal level, there were incentives passed to, to build the infrastructure we need in the United States to bring battery manufacturing here. There are battery plants. Kansas just got a massive uh, battery plant. The automotive industry is driving a lot of the early investment, sure. but we see companies, there's one uh, that I've keeping an eye on called form energy. Uh, they have, they are making a 100 hour uh, massive battery. They're using a, an iron oxide formulation. So they're using common materials to keep the cost down. They're very large. They're very heavy. They don't work for cell phones or cars, but they're perfect for the grid. And they're building their manufacturing facility in um, West Virginia right now. We when, have, when does that come to Texas though?
2: When do the batteries physically show up here and are able to battery-
1: store the wind and solar? We have the largest battery storage project is in Texas right now. Um, It's a, uh, and there are, if you look at the queue, we have gigawatts of batteries lined up to get into this market. And so it is, it is happening today. And it's something that frankly, we ought to be, uh, we ought to be rolling out the carpet. I, I am optimistic. You know, we're one of the issues we've, we've talked about is, is, uh, the Chapter 313 program, the incentive program you mentioned earlier, I am optimistic that we will have batteries in that program. Um, there was a push by several, uh, several, uh, just say the east side of the building to uh, to have batteries, but only if they were not charged by renewables, which is pretty illogical. But I'm optimistic they have uh, seen the error of that language in the bill and that we'll, we'll see batteries. But Texas, Texas is so well positioned to lead in oil, gas, LNG export, hydrogen, carbon capture, synthetic fuels. We did a study that's on our website about how much renewable energy do we need. If we want to own 10% of the global market for green hydrogen, we're going to need a lot of renewable energy to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Carbon capture makes sense if you have cheap power available to, to power. It doesn't make sense to burn fossil fuels to power carbon capture. So if you have or desal, you know, where we can take salt water, we can take brackish water, we can clean that up for use in oil and gas production, or as a as an agricultural uh, source of agricultural right. water. There's so much we can do if we partner things together. And Texas is positioned better than almost anyone with the ability to export the the energy that we can produce, and don't whether, whether it's hydrogen, whether it's natural gas. And we just envision that renewables are going to be a key part of that. Um, we, we've got to have lawmakers who are visionary when they look at energy instead of making energy a social, energy shouldn't be a social issue. Energy should not be a political issue. It's it's not blue or red. The energy is is a vital, it's, it's vital. And so we're, we're trying to guide people to a place where they recognize we can be supportive of every type of energy in this state. And we're going to benefit for the next hundred years because of it if we do it right right now. Jeff,
0: let's take this back to the consumer if we can here, because I think some consumers uh, sort of tune this stuff out and they think, well, I don't really have a dog in this fight. Uh, explain if you can you mentioned that you know wind and solar has saved Texas you know electricity customers you know almost a billion dollars a month over the last year explain what that means when you say that uh and 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 because somebody will say well I'm I'm not on renewable power uh, with my electricity plan and my electricity is costing me more and more how are you, how is the industry saving Texans number one and number two uh you know compare how much cheaper it is to to get power from wind or solar, as opposed to, let's say, you know, uh, hooking up some gas to a power plant and creating electricity that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The biggest cost, you know, it's, it's when you look at different types of power generation, the AS a wind farm, and I'll use wind as an example, a wind farm is more expensive. The capital expenditure at the front end is more expensive, but there's no fuel needed to operate that plant. And so, Of course, the challenges it it generates when the wind is blowing and it doesn't generate when the wind is not blowing. But one of the things that we've done with wind in the state is we started around Sweetwater and uh, then we expanded into the Panhandle and then we've expanded now to the Gulf Coast. And so we we have different times of day where the wind blows at different intervals and it it begins to make a much more balanced uh, profile of, of wind generation. In the state, and there are seasonal variations. So there are times of year when wind is is over overachieving. I think yesterday we were sixty or seventy percent of the grid was coming from renewable energy, and that's not uncommon. But it averages out to about twenty six percent over the over the life or over the course of a year. Twenty six percent of our power. When you flip on a light switch at home, whether you're on a plan that's green energy or not, it that power is coming from from renewable energy. The the variation comes when A lot of our power comes from natural gas. And so if natural gas prices are high, on the one hand, that's great for Texas because we generate a lot. You know, we generate a lot of our wealth comes from selling natural gas and tax revenue that comes from natural gas. But it does create challenges uh, for a consumer uh, because your electricity price is going to be tied to that high natural gas price. And so it's leveraging the two together. Uh, Natural gas is so much cleaner. Than then the alternatives like coal from wyoming and i and i say it all i'd much rather use texas natural gas and texas renewables than go to wyoming and buy energy i mean but, Texas. hey jeff just can, do that but getting
2: guess, back to what jason was asking when, when people heard you earlier say that it, it saved you know hundreds of millions of dollars explain how how people have saved on that because i feel like my electric
1: yeah. bills are through the roof man well it's it's the and that is you know of course the challenge is sort of like uh, when we get our property tax and they say well we 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 saved you on your property tax. Well, I'm looking at my bill and it looked like it went up. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, those explanations, the challenge, you know, natural gas prices in the course of the year, last year, natural gas prices were elevated and the year before. Um, again, good for the Texas economy, bad for bad if you're burning it to make electricity. And so the reduction in the cost is based on what the what that power would have cost if we used say, natural gas to generate that power. Gotcha. And, and which kind of gets to, you know, to be honest, gets to the heart of some of what's happening here is there are folks who really don't care what happens to the consumer. They just want to se- see more natural gas get burned to make electricity. And um, and so that's where that's where the wisdom of lawmakers comes into play to say, okay, where do we strike the balance between natural gas, nuclear, renewables, and, uh, and keeping a free market that keeps people investing and keeping costs down. But the but renewable energy because once that plant is built, um, that because that plant once it's built, there's no cost for fuel. It's just a, some basic operations and maintenance costs. Um, it is able to produce power much cheaper than any other form of energy. The thing I always point people to if they're interested is what's called the levelized cost of energy study, which sound mm-hmm. Jason? This is, listen. Never heard, of that, yeah, yeah, this I is heard of that one. Yeah, this is a journal you
2: probably know. Go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Well,
1: what is this? Lazard. L a z a r d produces the levelized cost of energy study every year. It mm. sounds much more boring than it is. It's actually pretty fascinating, and they look at everything from photovoltaics to, you know, combined cycle uh, turbines, nuclear and what is the cheapest to build what is the cheapest to operate and in many cases what you find is that new solar is cheaper to operate than some of these older uh, maintaining and fueling some of the old power plants hmm. and, Jeff, uh, and, little- and that's that's got some folks scared again that's where some of these bills come from
2: hey uh you said earlier in the conversation here that that you guys are looking at two to three times the amount of bills that you normally would have in
1: a legislature
2: why so much legislation going on right now
1: well I think you know part of it is we you know after winter storm Yuri remember that happened in the middle you know is when when uh, someday when I'm in a rocking chair in a retirement home somewhere and I look back on my career I'll I'll remember the joy of of uh having a, a winter storm in the middle of a legislative session yeah. representing this industry but that was obviously an incredible stressful time not just for Renewables but for every every uh, company in the power business um We've had time since then. The legislature took action immediately on weatherization and some other issues um, to address that. Then we have the Public Utility Commission for a year and a half has been working on changes to our market to encourage more what they're calling dispatchable energy, um, which we don't necessarily have a problem with, with if if there is indeed a need for more power when by, by dispatchable means power that you can flip a switch and it goes. Right. And uh, so, if um, you know, so obviously there are some some power sources, solar. If it's two o'clock in the morning and you need a solar pa- panel to generate, uh, that's not going to happen. But we want to make sure batteries are eligible to participate in these market design changes that they're making. But mm. we've had a year and a half of the PUC's conversation and uh, directed by the governor, and now the legislature is having their opportunity to look at those proposals from the from the PUC. And, uh, and then a lot of folks just have ideas of their own. And then again, I, I think there's a lot of uh, opportunism uh, where folks have seen that we had the, the calamity last session and they're coming back this session. They've had a year and a half or two years to blame renewables. And they're coming back with a stack of bills to put more money in other people's pockets and take money out of renewables pockets.
0: Hey, Jeff, back to that argument that we'll hear from oil and gas uh, a lot is that they want to level the playing field here. Uh, What what is it that you get right now from the federal government or for for the state government for renewables?
1: Yeah, there are um, the investment tax credit and there's for solar. There's a production tax credit for wind energy. Mm-hmm. and um you know and it's it's i again i it's one of those issues where we look at I, you know i i look at the incentives that are available to renewable power now we've also put in uh last year the federal government put in incentives for hydrogen production uh they put in a variety of incentives for carbon capture so there are a lot of things out there that are are supporting our friends in the in the oil and gas industry and again i don't i'm not saying those are bad it's just we spend a lot of time defending ourselves because the incentives available to renewable energy are very transparent. Um, you know, you build it, you generate power, you get a production tax credit. Um, you know, against your federal income tax. Um, if you build a solar project, you get an investment tax credit that applies to your federal income tax. A lot of the incentives that we have. Um, you know, let's use nuclear as an example. And I'm a big nuclear fan. We, in fact, we have members, and we're now expanding and looking at small modular reactors and how those can serve industry and cut emissions Um, so i'm not anti-nuclear at all but to build a nuclear plant in the united states today federal government provides loan guarantees federal government provides liability protection you know so there are lots of incentives that are in the tax code or they're built into statute that we don't think of in the same obvious and transparent way that we look at wind and solar incentives and so um, you know, we as a country, we, we started subsidizing fossil fuels before we were a country. We set up geological surveys and we were building canals to move coal from the resource to the cities because we wanted to break our addiction on British coal. Which So it's I, I think that abundant, affordable energy is so important. Having incentives to encourage energy production are good, and they're good for everybody. Um, but we but get these bills even fire. say you guys, these bills say you guys have grown to the point where you don't need them anymore. That's, that's what they say. So it's, do, uh, do you need them? You know, I think it. Texas certainly needs it. What we're talking about here is a federal or state incentives. The question is, does Texas need an incentive to make Texas attractive for these investments? Uh, I would argue our industries benefit by having the renewable power available to them to cut their costs. I know we're, we're up in, in the dallas Fort Worth area. Arlington truck plant, General Motors, that uh, make, makes every suburban, every Tahoe in the world uh, that you see, came out of that truck plant. That plant runs on 100% wind power. Well, they're making they're making vehicles that get about 12 to 15 miles to the gallon. This isn't a green, uh, you know, this isn't a solely an environmental move. It's, I'm sure that was part of it for General Motors. But what attracted them to renewable energy in Texas was a long-term, low-price fixed contract through a power purchase agreement, and it allows them to plan for decades on how to invest in that truck plant. I know that renewable energy is good for Texas. The question is, what do we have to have in order to make Texas the most attractive place relative to other states? So Kansas today will offer you a 10-year property tax exemption on a wind project. In order to encourage you to come to Kansas, that's what they offer. So, you know, when you're if you're sitting with an Excel spreadsheet and deciding where to invest billions of dollars in new energy projects, but it it really comes down to whether you choose Texas or you choose somewhere else, and what which one's most attractive on the balance sheet.
0: So, if Texas hurts your industry uh, with what lawmakers are looking to do right now, um, the world doesn't just stop, is what you're saying here.
1: These projects just go elsewhere, and we miss the boat on those. I'm headed to Baton Rouge tomorrow morning. Uh, to talk with lawmakers about what they are trying to do with offshore wind, with offshore hydrogen, with onshore solar, to bring more chemical manufacturing to the state by making power available. And then on Monday, I'll be in Atlanta meeting with the hydrogen task force there. They're looking to manufacture hydrogen. They've got electric vehicle manufacturers. They just got a massive new solar panel factory. They're looking to produce hydrogen in that state for domestic use and even potentially to export hydrogen out of uh, their own port. Texas has been an energy leader for a century. We are Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana. We've provided this country with energy for a century. People are waking up where I now have the ability to produce electricity with a solar panel anywhere the sun shines. And I can produce hydrogen anywhere I have electricity and water. Every state in the country, every country in the world is now on the verge of becoming an energy producer. And Texas has, we have to rethink and reinvent ourselves If we want to continue to dominate in the next hundred years, I think we're better positioned than anybody else to do it, but the technology now makes anyone who wants to be an energy producer now has that ability. Hmm. So you've got suitors
0: lining up is what it sounds like.
1: I think it's great for the consumer. It's great for the economy. It's great for United States technological leadership. We don't want to lose another industry. We're going to, we want to win hydrogen. Um, but if it, Texas can win or Texas can lose, it's really up to Texas.
2: My last question, I want to go back to Senate Bill 624, the bill we started with at the very beginning of this by uh, Senator Lois Kolkhorst from Brenham, Republican there. Uh, at, at issue, in, in case you skip through this, that this is the bill that would essentially require every renewable project, whether it's a turbine or a solar farm or anything, to be permitted and to essentially get permission from everyone who lives and works around it. I, I'm
1: curious, what's behind this? What, what, what do you think is going on here? What's you the know, genesis of this bill? You know, it's it's. Uh, I don't want to trade in rumors, but I'll I'll just entertain you know, entertain you with some of what we've. And I and I, as soon as you mentioned the bill, I, I'm struck by the fact that I'm sitting in front of a screen. Um, I it's this device is more dangerous to me sitting here than than a solar panel. 50 feet away. I mean, the idea that we're we have communities all over the state where people are putting solar panels on their rooftops. It's the same solar panel. Okay. And uh, the idea that we're we're now going to so heavily regulate and the misinformation that we're hearing in these committee hearings about, you know, toxic runoff and, and you know, it's just there's so much nonsense that has been spread. And there's a lot of coverage. Of, there are groups out there that spend Millions of dollars leading the public in the wrong direction on renewable energy. I think that this bill is about stopping renewable energy because there are a few. um, I think there are a few wealthy landowners in the state who don't want to see a wind farm uh, nearby or they don't want to see a solar farm nearby. And then I think there are also um, and I and I will say it's not the oil and gas industry because the oil and gas industry industry writ large recognizes the direction that technology is going. and. Some of them, we have oil and gas members of our association. Some of them are embracing and, and developing business strategies around this. But there are a few folks out there who are funding these types of campaigns to stop competition.
0: Yeah, if I'm they, almost done as well, I just wanted to ask you off the top of your head, how many jobs uh, does your industry support here in Texas and, and, and the economic impact as well, real quickly?
1: Yeah, there, there are over 40,000 people currently working in, in advanced energy um, obviously, in, on the solar side, we get a lot of, of construction jobs. But more and more, in Dallas that manufactures wind towers just got a seven hundred fifty million dollar order for wind towers. Um, so we're building, and this was what we promised a decade ago: build the industry, and the manufacturing ecosystem will grow up around that. So,
0: and, and what do you? What would you say your economic impact is here? How big is the industry in Texas?
1: The industry in Texas, uh, we have ninety three billion dollars invested. In the state, we're paying about 11.3 billion dollars on the existing projects. are being paid out to the landowners who host the projects. Mm. Um, and I lied to you; it's 42,000 Texas, who 42,000. So our, our numbers are up a bit. And then uh, there's over 50 of the Fortune 500 companies in Texas are getting their getting their power from renewables. So um, yeah. the uh, uh, the into you know, the other thing I would point to in terms of economic impact. We're exclusively, or not exclusively, we are the major economic driver, other than agriculture, we're the major economic driver in rural Texas, because think about all that land that's exempt from taxation because of agriculture, it leaves the tax burden on the relatively small number of homeowners and businesses. That's
0: exactly where I was going to take you next there, Jeff. Business Insider actually has a map of the U.S., and you look at Texas and the hotspots for jobs uh, in, in this uh, you don't see any of the big urban areas represented. You see that you know big swath of uh, rural West Texas out there. Uh, our friends over at the Sweetwater Economic Development Corporation, uh, it, they're in Nolan County, said that if they were to be ranked along with other countries in the world, just that county would be the 26th largest wind-producing country uh, in the world. So you know it, it is interesting the the politics of this. You you have Republicans pushing these bills, but that's Republican country out there where these landowners are getting paid and where these jobs are 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 paying people
1: i'll give you i'll 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 give i I don't want to run out of time with you but the i'll give you another thought when you look at our elections and who elects our leaders the the deciding factor tends to be our rural communities you you just look at how they vote and um you know and i you know my people are midland and abilene you know i i know how people vote out there where we're investing we're investing in Republican communities that need investment. Two-thirds of our projects go into counties that are considered low wealth per pupil counties. So we're going to places that need capital investment to drive up the tax base for their students. And, uh, you know, and I think it's it's uh, it's important on a variety of issues, but I think it's important for lawmakers to stand with rural Texas. Rural Texas doesn't have the influence that it had when I moved from Abilene to Austin thirty years ago um it doesn't have the influence it had back then but rural texas is vitally important to the health of the state overall and we have to keep investment going there in the you know in all forms but especially these energy investments that pay out over the long term are are really key for so many places
0: Jeff, I'm going to ask one last question just so I can watch Whiteley's head explode on this Zoom call. Um, So the the waiting game here, I mean, we're getting, you know, the the clock is ticking on the Texas legislature, just like it is on this podcast. Uh, And uh, I'm just curious how much of this is a battle of attrition and just hoping that these bills will fall by the wayside when you're representing this industry
1: well it's it is a it is a challenge especially when there's so many bad bills this year um and i and i thank you both for for letting me spend a little time with you if people will pick up the phone and call their lawmakers and say hey focus on things that matter quit messing with renewable energy um that would help a lot you know they're they need to hear from the public but it is a waiting game it's nothing um nothing is safe and, until may 31st and uh it it's uh, it, it creates a lot of gray hair and and uh, anxiety but we'll <laughs> we'll we'll keep fighting, and I appreciate the chance to to share our story with you.
2: Yeah, five weeks left in the legislature, and and SB six twenty four, when we talked about, plus all the others, Jason ran down the list on, are certainly some we'll be watching to see whether they can make it across the finish line. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for the insight; we appreciate that. Absolutely, thank you,
0: thank you. So again, Jeff Clark there with the Advanced power Alliance uh, and and you know, sort of laying out uh, what his industry is facing right now and and Jason, it's a lot like you know basically they're just you know playing goalie at this point, trying to keep as many pucks out of the net as possible yes. uh, in this uh, legislative session and seeing if maybe they can wait out, you know, maybe a battle of attrition here, if they can wait out. Uh, some of these bills and and have them sort of die on the vine. We'll see. Uh, But there is a concerted effort uh, to push some of these bills through and make some changes as to how this state views wind and solar and the subsidies uh, that go to them. You know, Governor Abbott has said, you know, hey, they get federal, you know, uh, they're already getting federal money. You know, do they necessarily need something here at the state level as well? Any further encouragement?
2: Did you hear what Jeff said? This session, It wraps up in about five weeks or so. Mm -hmm. This session has two to three times more bills than normal targeting uh, renewable energy. To think of how serious he's taking this, and apparently some landowners who are part of his organization, um, the, the line about the Soviet Union that if this passes this will be turn Texas into the Soviet Union where you don't get to decide what happens to your property the state gets to decide what happens to your property i thought that was interesting and it's always worth reiterating 26% about a quarter of of all the electricity we use in Texas is generated by wind and solar. Wind and solar has a lot of work they need to do. They need to figure out, you know, battery technology has to improve. They have to figure out how to actually store some of that for the cloudy days or for the days it's not windy. That is coming, uh, and, and, and so are the attacks, it seems, on renewable energy because so many people, so many jobs, so much investment, is still tied up in oil and gas in our state.
0: Well, I thought it was stunning when you speak about industry too, what he was saying about how this helps a lot of big industry here in Texas, which we've got a ton of, this helps them to sort of quote unquote clean their product like you know if they're energy intensive and they're trying to sell to markets that have specific benchmarks saying hey you got to be you know cleaner than this if they're using clean energy that helps them to sort of clean up all of the the energy that they're using or all the carbon that they may be producing And so this affects big business here in Texas as well. As we said at the outset, uh, multi-layered. This is multi-layered. We should mention that we reached out to the Texas Oil and Gas Association uh, to see if they wanted to talk about this as well. Uh, Todd Staples, uh, the former land commissioner uh, here in Texas, um, you know, declined on on this occasion. Uh, He he heads up that organization now, said it's just too busy of a time right now to talk. Or, Or, you know, maybe it is that they just, you know, really didn't want to, Necessarily get down into this one. Uh, it is interesting that they did decline to talk about this and 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 not necessarily, uh, you know, perhaps take any kind of a position on this. Also interesting that the Advanced Power Alliance says, "Hey, we're not anti-gas or anti-oil. We sure. we all need to work. To, we need all of these sources here in Texas." Uh, as you know, February of 2021 showed us uh, we need as many ways of producing electricity and as much of it as we can get uh, here in Texas. That's basically what they're
2: saying. One of my biggest takeaways that, that you know everything's political these days. There's there's always cultural wars going on about every single thing in the world. But one of the biggest takeaways from Jeff Clark, as you just mentioned. Uh, That he does support oil and gas along with renewables and and anyone you talk to, even even Republicans who support this will say privately, yes, we need all types of, of energy in our state and we lead right now in all types. But here's my takeaway. Energy should not be red or blue. At the end of the day, we all need it. It's like the air we breathe. We've got to have electricity to charge our phones, to keep the lights on at our house, to keep the AC and the heat running as well. And it's it's crazy it has become political. But it has, obviously, because money is involved.
0: Yeah, I don't know, uh, you know, maybe it makes it less political if everybody has to turn off their air conditioner in the summer for a couple of days and, and feel what life is like without that, uh, because, you know, you got This state is growing. A lot of people are moving here and we keep seeing these warnings with the grid every year over and over and over again, like, hey, we need you to cut back because we don't think that we can produce enough and this and that. Uh, yeah, it is clear that you need to scrounge and get it from every source you possibly can right now. Uh, but, you know, at least um, you know, wind and solar say it, it, it looks right now like the state is trying to pick winners and create losers. Um, and, and they say that now is just not the time for that and that you know Texans need to be involved in this. I thought it was interesting that he closed on that note, basically saying, hey, you know, we're being vigilant in the legislature. We're doing as much as we can to swat these things down. But it would help if we had people just picking up a phone and calling their senator or calling their representative at the state level and saying, hey. You know, leave this alone. Let's let's let it be.
2: Senate Bill 624 is the main one Jeff was talking about. He did acknowledge, as you said in there, Jason, there there are many, many others. They're trying to fend off and and keep out of the goal as well. And we have five weeks left in the legislature. It seems it, it sounds like Senate Bill 624 is going to be headed to the House for consideration there. And if it passes there, obviously, it goes to the governor's desk for a signature or for a veto. I can't imagine Governor Abbott might veto this. Uh, but we shall see what a final form of this looks like if it makes it that far before legislators adjourn on May 29th.
0: Hey, everybody, uh, thanks for listening uh, to us once again and um, you know, share this podcast with someone you know um, because it's, it, it's great to get people you know up to speed on all the different issues that are going on here in Texas. And leave us a comment. Uh, subscribe here to the podcast and let us know what you think about you know the subjects, the guests, uh, the things that, that Whiteley has said, uh, beer choices, whatever you like. The things Whiteley has said, what are you talking about? Uh, did I say that?
2: You're, you're talking about you can't get along with your neighbors within 25 miles, much less like right next door. You're, you're tied up down there in that room, man. Yeah, now
0: I'm locked in an interrogation room. Things are not going well for me, man. But at least it, I have my ice in here.
2: At least you have a beer, my friend. Cheers to you. Cheers.
0: Okay, y'all. The conversation doesn't stop here. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Yolitics.